Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Well, hi, TCC. My name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. You may open up your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 35 today as we continue with our sermon series called Foretold. We are looking at prophecies of the coming Messiah as it relates to our Advent. So we've looked at prophecy pertaining to hope. We looked at prophecy pertaining to peace. And today we're looking at prophecy that pertains to joy. But the thing about that is, I think one of the biggest robbers of our joy is our own false expectations. Have you ever been disappointed in a gift? I really haven't much, but one memory came to mind as I was thinking about it. One time when I was a child, I was snooping under the tree like you do, and I looked at this one gift from my grandparents. I gave it a little shake, and it sounded like a cassette. And in those days, Disney had a unique kind of VHS case, and it was in that shape. So I thought, okay... It's a Disney movie. You know what? I mentioned to them that I was interested in The Lion King. It's got to be The Lion King. Well, Christmas morning, I open it up, and it's Snow White. Now, Snow White is an important film in the history of cinema. It's a landmark film, and it's an Oscar-winning film. But at that moment, because of my expectations, it didn't really spark joy. I was on the right track in my guess. I was close, but I misinterpreted the signs. And that can be a danger in prophecy. You know, Jesus says these words in Luke. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He's speaking to his people. They have the prophets. They have these prophecies about Jesus. They have the prophecies of the coming Messiah, but they don't recognize him when he comes because Jesus doesn't come in a way that matches their expectations. They misinterpreted the signs. And so his arrival doesn't bring them peace and his arrival doesn't bring them joy. The surest way to disappointment with God is our own false expectations. You know, I thought God was going to do this, but he didn't. I thought God would show up this way, but he didn't. No joy will come from false expectations. No joy will come from false gods and false promises. There is no joy or comfort to be had by putting promises in the mouth of God that he didn't utter. Christian joy is grounded in truth. And there is joy for us in these prophetic writings that lay out for us what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. But we must interpret it correctly. So let's diligently try to do that by the power and revelation of God's Spirit. Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. 
The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So a lot of imagery there. A lot of imagery and pictures for us of God's redemptive plan. That's what this is about, his redemptive plan. So what is God going to do? What is God going to bring about? Well, the first image and the most prominent image is of a desert. Barren land, desolate land, a dead land where not much grows and there's no life. That's the image. That's the picture. And what is God going to do? He's going to take what is dead and bring forth life. What's barren is going to blossom. It's going to bloom. This parched land is going to gush with water. I love this line. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. Burning sand, this hostile thing God is going to deliver us from. He's going to bring relief from this affliction in creation. He's going to redeem. He's going to restore. This thirsty ground that's longing and waiting is going to receive in abundance. That's a bit of anthropomorphizing, right? Putting our human traits onto things. Uh, But the Bible has mankind as the caretaker of the earth. And so from the very beginning, there is this link between us and the rest of creation. At the fall, when man sinned, God says this. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You see hostility between man and the earth. But not like the environmentalists of our age that view man as an abomination of the earth. It's not like that. Uh, Look back to verse 7. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. A haunt of jackals. What does that image instill in you? Well, I think it gives us this picture of this unwanted thing being where it shouldn't be. Wild and disordered. What might come to mind is one of those dystopian movies where something tragic happened to humanity. And so all of our cities are overrun with vegetation and wild animals. It's eerie and haunting because it means that something terrible happened to mankind. Man is not in his proper place, and so the world has fallen to disorder. It says in Romans, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see the connection, the thirsty ground that's waiting and longing will receive when the sons of God are redeemed. This coming of God is going to remove the hostility between man and the earth. He's going to remove the affliction. He's going to restore the order of creation. What is dead and barren will be lush and beautiful and ordered like a garden, like the garden we once knew. This coming of God is going to bring what is unfit for life to life. He's going to restore us and restore creation and redeem the order of creation. Isn't that joyous news? 
Well, what else is he going to do? He's going to bring justice. Verse 4, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. He's going to save us, but particularly here, he's going to save us from injustice. He's coming in vengeance. He's coming to punish. Divine retribution. He's coming with justice. Isn't that joyous news? That justice will be done. He's going to bring life from death. He's going to restore us. He's going to restore creation. He's going to bring justice. What else is he going to do? Well, he's going to bring healing. Verse 5 and 6. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Well, that's unquestionably joyous news. He's going to bring healing. He's going to bring justice. He's going to restore creation. What else is he going to do? He's going to lead us to holiness. Verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. He's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. He's going to lead us into holiness. And he's going to bring safety and security. Verse 9. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. He's going to make us safe. He's going to lead us into holiness. He's going to separate the unrighteous from the righteous. He's going to bring justice. He's going to restore creation. What else is he going to do? Well, he's going to end sorrow and bring everlasting joy. Verse 10. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now, all of that sounds amazing. But when we look at the world, that's not what we see. We see affliction in the natural world. Famines, floods, fires, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, droughts, thorns, and thistles. That's what we see. We see injustice. Evil people doing evil things and seemingly getting away with it. We see disease. We see illness. We see decay and death. Not a lot of healing. Certainly not healing that lasts or endures. And we see sorrow. And everlasting joy is not exactly what we have. But Jesus came to us. That's what we're remembering. That's what we're celebrating. God came to us. Yeah, what we see in these prophecies that proclaim what will happen when God comes to us is not what we see in our lives. Are we disappointed in the gift? We shook it, we looked at it, we studied it, but it's not what we expected. Did we misread the signs? Is Jesus really the Messiah? You know, that's actually a fair question. That's the question that John the Baptist asked. It says this in Matthew. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John the Baptist had more evidence and reason to believe that Jesus was the Messiah than just about anybody. But some confusion or uncertainty crept in. It's easy to understand why he's languishing in prison. He's not safe from ravenous beasts, far from it. He's not separate from the unrighteous. I thought the Messiah would bring that. I thought the Messiah would bring justice, would save me from injustice. I thought the Messiah would take away sorrow and bring everlasting joy. 
And maybe John isn't feeling joyful at the moment. But Jesus points John back to the passages exactly like this one, proclaiming in no uncertain terms that he is the Messiah, that he is God who has come to us to fulfill these prophecies through his ministry. He opened the eyes of the blind. He unstopped the ears of the deaf. He made the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue to shout for joy. He's comforting John. The Messiah has come. It's happening. Everything written about him is true. It's real. It's happening, even if it's in a way you didn't quite expect. This is flowery language in Isaiah. It's it's poetic language, but the truth it conveys is real. And that's why it's joyous. You know, we, we love to make a distinction between joy and happiness. And there's a reason why we do that. We, we don't want to create a false impression that the Christian life is nothing but happiness. And joy is not the only emotion you're ever going to have. And frankly, nor should it be. Jesus is our model for Christian living. And Jesus did not exude joy all the time. He was at times joyful, particularly when he sees faith in people. But other times, Jesus is sad. Other times, Jesus is filled with compassion and empathy. Other times, he's disappointed and exasperated. And sometimes, he's angry. Our emotions must be righteous, but they're not singular. Now, the Bible does say things like, be joyful always. And so, we have to reconcile that. And what we tend to do, then, is make the distinction between happiness and joy, where happiness is circumstantial, but joy is this deep, abiding thing. And there is something to that. Uh, There's a reason uh, we say things like that. But happiness and joy are also synonyms. And I think a problem that can arise from that is it may lead us to think that Christian joy is not circumstantial, that it's not in any way connected to our circumstances. But it is. It, It may not be our immediate circumstances, but it is connected. It is tethered to our circumstances. It's not joyful always, no matter the situation. It's joyful always because of the situation, because of what Jesus has done, what Jesus has brought about, what Jesus has, in fact, in reality, done for us. Our joy is conditioned. It is conditioned on what Christ has done. It is tethered to the facts on the ground, to the reality of our situation in Christ. Our joy is situational. And if we are in Christ, our situation is very, very good. We have joy because what is described here in Isaiah is our reality. These prophecies are fulfilled by Jesus now and not yet. Well, how does that make sense? Well, you know, one of the ways in which this season blesses us is it gives us these symbols. Some of these man-made traditions are are good teachers for us. And one of the things that we do this time of year is we put presents under the tree and then we wait. We really don't do that with any other gift giving. You know, I, I don't set out my kids' birthday gifts and go, okay, you can open that in a few weeks. But we do that in this time, and it's a great illustration for us because if you're answering the question, do you have a gift? The answer is yes, and not yet. It's there. It was brought to you. It was given to you. It's yours. You have it, and yet, not yet. We are in a period of Advent, waiting for the Lord to come, to at last open the gift that he brought us 
All of these prophecies, all of these promises are wrapped up in the life, in the ministry, in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It is finished. It is accomplished. He brought it about. He delivered it to us. We have it and not yet. It's not time yet. And we can grow frustrated with that. He gave us a gift, but we can't open it. We can grow impatient. But listen to Second Peter. It says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. His patience was your life. His patience was your joy. The world kept on going a little longer because he had you in mind. We don't begrudge God his patience. He knows the right time. And in the meantime, what we have because of his coming is confidence. What we have because of his coming is joy. What we have because of his coming is comfort in the waiting. Look at verse 3 and 4 in our passage. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. We have comfort because we have the gift of Christ. We have joy because we have the gift of Christ. We can face all dangers because we have the gift of Christ. We can face all evil and endure injustice because we have the gift of Christ. We can be joyful in affliction, even in the midst of disease and decay and even death, because we have the gift of Christ. We can face all the sorrow of the world because we have the gift of Christ. But it's even more than that. Uh, These prophecies in Isaiah are not just outlining what God has done or what he will do, but what God is doing. God is not sitting idly. No, he is actively working to bring about his redemptive plan. Let's look back at our passage again. Verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. The way of holiness. Early Christianity was called the way, Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And we have this picture of a highway that we're journeying on. Not to our destination yet, but drawing closer. And God gives us his spirit to guide us on the way of holiness. And as we walk with him, what do we see? We see what is dead come back to life. We see a desert start to blossom and bloom. Living waters start to flow in a parched land. We see righteousness separating from unrighteousness. We see the redemptive work of God in our own selves. And we see it beyond us, too. We see it in his church. We, we see the hands and feet of Jesus working to bring his redemptive plan, bringing safety where there's danger, bringing joy and hope in the midst of sorrow, bringing healing where there's brokenness. Listen to what it says in Philippians. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But I know that can feel far off when we're languishing in a prison, when we're suffocating with injustice, when we're facing death and pain and wasting disease when the sorrows of the world are more real to us than the promises of God. These prophecies can feel so distant. And what do we say to that? The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is the Messiah. He came to us as he promised he would, and he promises to come again. He started a good work, and he will be faithful to complete it. One day we will enter into Zion. We will open the gift at last, and everlasting joy will crown our heads. Gladness and joy will overtake us, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.